Welcome to the Find Sisterhood Podcast, Unspoken Truths, where we shine a light on the beautiful messiness of life. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is Anna and Maria from the Find Sisterhood team, and we are here today with actress and writer Franceli. Hi Franceli. Hi. So we, I need to real quick make an intro because I still think it's so hilarious how you and I met. Yes. So uh, <laughs> when I started Find Sisterhood as a hobby, I was on maternity leave with my second child and I started working on Find Sisterhood. And so I had an Instagram account with 50 followers. Thank you to all of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I started working around, you know, how do I want fine sisterhood to look like and women that represent us? And so I went to several stock photo sites and I found one stock photo of these three women smiling and having a good time. And I just loved it. So I remember it was the first stock photo I've ever purchased. Yes. And so I posted it on our Instagram with like literally almost zero followers. <laughs> and I and I posted it saying something about fine sisterhood or you fine sisterhood. And so then there is a woman and she sends me a direct message on Instagram. And she's like, I'm that woman in the middle <laughs> of that photo. I'm like th that model in the middle of that photo. Hi, what are you? What's Fine Sisterhood all about? Right. Because oh. my face was everywhere. It was like on the Instagram. It was like on the advertisement <laughs> of the app, like coming soon. And I had my friends like DMing me and tagging me like, is this you? Is this you? And they couldn't tell because unfortunately the stock photography company in Europe, they made my gap a lot smaller. Anyone who knows me or follows me knows that like my logo is my gap and I'm a big, you know, I just celebrate the differences that we have and the beauty of who we are and my gap makes me unique. And so when they shrunk it so small, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> so people were like, they couldn't recognize me because who's Frincelli without the gap, you know? So yeah, yeah, that's how that we was met. so funny. And like I was, I was um, at that time. I was in Europe. I was in Germany uh, for a few months, and so then, um, and I remember you said you're in LA, you yes. know. And I never, I, I, just thought it was funny. I remember you started following us. I started following you and commenting on your photos and be like, oh, that's how she really looks, like even prettier. Um, <laughs> and so it was really funny. And then. Um, and then I moved to LA. Yes, you did. And I was like, wait, we're in the same city now. And uh, two and a half, almost years later, uh, I reached out to you and I said, so we're launching that it's actually now a company. <laughs> There's actually an app. Your face is still kind of all over it. Um, but why don't you come to our launch party and are part of our panel? And yes. so... We met in person, which is amazing. It and now so we're great. recording a podcast. <laughs> it was like destiny. It's like, yes, we need to be friends. We're clearly like sisters. Yeah, um, we found our life. sisterhood. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're all in the same city recording yes. a podcast. So much fun. Yeah. So one of the things we wanted to talk to you about today is uh, Maria and I are both Latinas. I'm, I have Mexican, I have Austrian. Maria is from Argentina. Mm -hmm. Um and you're an Afro-Latina. Yes, I'm from the Dominican Republic. Hey. Shout out to all my Dominicanos <laughs> out there. <laughs> so yes, yeah. I was born in the Dominican Republic, but I was raised in America. I came here as a small child, actually illegally, my um, through Mexico. <laughs> you know, it's a story I can tell now. I'm an American citizen, so listen up, Trump. You can't send me nowhere. How about that? <laughs> um, so it's interesting because my, my mother was in the Dominican Republic and my father was in America and he kept convincing my mom that she should come to America and 
and he wanted to be close to his daughter. And so he bought a plane ticket from Dominican Republic to Mexico. And then through the border of Mexico with a working day visa, my mom crossed over and we just never went back. And so that that's kind of the journey, right? But I've been fully immersed into American culture along with my Dominican culture. So it's very complicated growing up as a woman who looked like me, had hair like me. My father was very, very dark skinned and my mom was very light skinned. And so there's all these complexities about like who I identified with and where I felt comfortable and what spaces. And the term Afro-Latina did not exist. But my father had a PhD in anthropology and he as ever since I was a child, he was like, you're a black woman first. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you're not black. So I just was raised knowing that I was black. And I just so happened to be a Dominican woman that speaks Spanish and loves merengue and salsa and bachata and eats mangu con los tres golpes. You know, like it was just, it was just almost like natural. And then as I got older, things got a little complicated. Yeah. So I personally have barely ever really heard the term Afro-Latina. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of all, I'm wondering why that is. I doubt that I'm the only one. And I've seen just now that I've become more aware of those kind of things and following people that openly talk about that a lot and say, I want I want my identity to first be a black woman and then be a Latina. But I'm also both of this. I'm an Afro-Latina. Why is it that that's a term that we just we just now start using so much? I'm not sure where the like cosmetic boom happened that made this such a big fire term. But whenever it did happen, I thank the cosmos for it, right? Because it there's so many women, especially Afro-Latina black women, who didn't grow up in the household that I did, where they weren't encouraged to identify with being black, but they did identify black or they were told, you know, El pelo tamalo, like you have bad hair based on their curl pattern. And, you know, they. I went to a sleepover for a Puerto Rican family, and without my mother's permission, they relaxed my hair when I was eight years old. Oh, wow. Because the beautician was like, oh, she has bad hair. We need to go ahead and relax it. And it was horrible because once my hair was relaxed, then my aunt was like, well, they already did it, so we have to keep relaxing her hair. So I was relaxing my hair from the age of eight all the way until college. And I went to a historically black college. Shout out to Norfolk State University. (laughs) And there, that's when my black sisters were like, what are you talking about? Your hair is beautiful. And in the Latina community, there were so many things about my blackness that was like shunned or suppressed. And it was all about having the long hair. And there was a certain look, a certain sexiness. There was all this pressure to like live up to quote-unquote what it means to be a Latina that I didn't feel confident enough yet like I wasn't secure in my body and secure in who I was as a woman so I didn't feel sexy enough or pretty enough to necessarily be all the way Latina and around black people I mean black people just celebrated me and I just I know so much about black history and there's there was just this ease there and as I've gotten older it was like but why do I have to choose they're both such a big part of who I am because I would go home and I'm dancing salsa and I'm on the phone during college speaking to my mom in Spanish and my black friends are like wait you're Spanish and I'm like yeah but wait (laughs) Spanish is the wrong term because it's colonization no I'm a Latina you know and then that whole wave of like changing the language of what we say so there's all these you know it started off we were Spanish. Then it became more Latinos. Then it became Latinx. Then it became Afro-Latino, Afro-Latinx. And it keeps evolving and changing. The most important thing, I think, is is that there is space 
for people to have a place where they can feel seen, heard, and identified. And I think that that's what's so important about this term, Afro-Latinidad. Whether you identify with it or not, the complexities of it, and I say do your homework. Really figure out what it is, and, and it's just about the celebration of the African diaspora, that the slave ship stopped in many places, and if you really look at the culture and the history, plantains didn't even exist on the island of Dominican Republic until the slaves came over and they brought the plantains. Because in Africa, they make plantains all the time with their food. And there's just all these things that people aren't aware of to the connection because of what colonization did. I find that very interesting, especially when you said, you know, whatever you identify as, Mm -hmm. because I get that a lot. I keep wondering how my kids are going to handle that because my kids are um, Mexican um american and austrian yes and i keep thinking like when people say oh yeah they're american i'm like no they're not and i'm like well hold on yeah they are also (laughs) and it's so interesting i'm like they're too young right now to say that um but i think it is important and i need to do some practice myself to Mm -hmm. allow them to identify as whatever feels right for them right and so one of the things that i get a lot is that people say well but where are you really from Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean, where am I really from? I am half Mexican. I am half Austrian. There is no really. Like, my dad is from Mexico. My mom is from Austria. I lived in both countries. I grew up bilingual. There is no where are you really from. Like, when I say I'm half Austrian, half Mexican, that is literally what I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the good thing is that now people are becoming more aware. Like, you, it's none of your business to say, well, but you're actually from. What does that mean? No. Right. Like, let me identify as what I want to identify as, right? And so I think we, we talk a lot about that because we're um, in the team, three Latinas, and all of us are very light-skinned. Mm-hmm. And then people here call us women of color. And we're like, wait, are we? Are we not? Like... Yes, we get, especially with all of our very um, Hispanic-sounding names, you know, there is, I think, I don't even know what to, uh, how to say it, but, like, there is people perceive us a certain way. Mm-hmm. I am someone who constantly just right now talks with her hands. Yes. Um, we're perceived a, a lot as angry women. I know I have gotten that my whole life. I'm angry. I'm too passionate. I'm too loud. I am too everything that is associated to women of color. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I am aware of my privilege, I just yesterday had that thought. We were on a road trip and we went to a Starbucks and I just went in there and asked for the um, password for the restroom. And she just gave it to me without even thinking. And I thought, that is privilege. She just gave it to me based on how I look mm-hmm. because she saw me walking in. She knows I didn't order anything. And if I walked in there, that wouldn't have yeah, been she, the same Yeah, case. she would have probably <laughs> said to you, well, you need to order something. Right. The bathroom is just for our customers. So I feel like I have both worlds, mm-hmm. you know. I have the world where I dealt with a lot of racism in, you know, 80s, 90s in Austria <laughs> with a with a Latino dad who mm-hmm. is very dark-skinned um, and, you know, only spoke Spanish. But I also have the privilege in the United States that when I don't open my mouth, people don't hear my accent, they don't see my name, they just assume, you know, um, or they give me the privilege. Right. Let's put it this way. You know? I think it's... This is what's happening with the conversation of Afro-Latinidad that always has happened in the African-American community. In the African-American community, from the beginning of Jim Crow, white passing, 
black people who were very fair-skinned that were able to, you know, take advantage of certain privileges. There's always been this dialogue and this conversation in the African-American community about light-skinned versus dark-skinned, especially mm-hmm. women, right? Oh, yeah. And it's been a, a huge point of like, well, dark-skinned girls do this and light-skinned girls are like that. And it's such a division, right? And I don't think necessarily in the Latino community that conversation has come up as necessarily as it needed to until the Afro-Latina term came Mm -hmm. out. Because, yes, as Latinas, we're all considered women of color, yes, and let's not really push under the rug what happens in even our home countries with privilege in terms of the color disparity, right? And even when I went to the Dominican Republic in 2016 for my grandmother's funeral, I went there with straight hair because for the funeral and then it rained so (laughs) anyone who has natural hair out there you know what I'm talking about you know what happens so my hair got super big and so I just wore it curly and I remember sitting at um, a Hooters (laughs) that's how you know it's Americanized and we're there and we're chatting and we're talking about going out and my friend from junior high school who lives on the island told me do you know that there's certain establishments that you won't be able to get into with your hair like that I said Wait, wait a minute. Come again, say that one more time. And it's like, you know, the same way that when a man goes to a club, you know, he can't have on sneakers. He has to have on a button-up and some, you know, hard-bottom shoes. There's a certain dress etiquette. They have a certain hair etiquette for women in the Dominican Republic. And I thought it was absurd. And it was such a example of, you know, colorism and racism at its best. Because the reality is, is that women with really curly textures a lot of times come from a darker complexion and it's just like so now I feel obliged to straighten my hair just to go out it's just it's crazy I completely identify with that just because in Argentina for example one thing that it always like crosses my mind is like okay yes we're all Latinas but we're also different and people tend to put you on that group and then that's it Mm -hmm. and it's like so much culture so much diversity within the Latina community that people don't understand that so for me when I was younger it was straight hair all the way just like you Mm -hmm. my mom as well like you see my mom and it's like straight hair she actually has straight hair I don't know where I got this from but I'm (laughs) embracing it now but until I was like 16 17 I will straighten my hair because that's what like society saw as like beauty it wasn't like the curly hair coming out like a lion king is more like what it is like the stereotype of what you're supposed to look Mm -hmm. um so within that it's like what are the challenges for you now as an actress in LA with all this and 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 again Afro-Latina now is like a boom especially with Amara La Negra she just Mm -hmm. like brought it up I think way more right um but what are the biggest challenges that you have with with that? Yes, Amara La Negra did bring this whole new visibility to it, but the reality is there's so many Afro-Latinas. There's um, Tatiana Ali, who's on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She's Panamanian. <laughs> you know, there's Lala Anthony, who's on Power. There's just all these beautiful brown women. Agina, who was in The Matrix, who played Morpheus's wife. Like, here are all these dope, dope Afro-Latinas, but again, the industry wasn't positioned in a way for that to even be a term. Mm -hmm. Zoe Zaldana, they had to make a choice. And if you look at their acting careers, for a long time, they were just African-American. They were, you know, or 
they wouldn't even say what they were. They would no. just put yeah. them in a movie or put them on a show. You know, in a show like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I, it wasn't until Tatiana Ali started doing interviews and having conversations that I even knew that she was Latina. As far as I was concerned, oh, she was a black girl mm-hmm. yeah. on this show about Philly. And it was great, and I loved it. But had I known a lot sooner that she was an Afro-Latina, I would have looked at the TV and been like, wow, there's someone who looks like me that's on television all my life growing up. I didn't necessarily think that there was anyone like me that did what I do. And then I got in the industry, right? And same thing happened to me. I was in a bunch of plays. I did a lot of theater in New York. And there was never like, I was never a certain ethnicity or I was just black. And I did a lot of plays in the 50s, you know, during Jim Crow. I played a slave girl. So it was very easy and natural for me to do African-American roles. But I yearned to be on stage or on screen and be able to speak Spanish. I'm like, this is in my toolbox. And so before I moved to Los Angeles, it's one of the things I prayed about. I said, God, I really want to connect to the Latino community within the industry. And I really want to be able to do more work. And I connected with this amazing Dominican, Julissa Calderon, who was a producer at Pero Like on BuzzFeed. And she came up with this concept if Dominicans were housewives to do like a parody on the housewives franchise <laughs> and just the Dominican version. And she's like, girl, come on. And the all the skits are entirely in Spanish and we just have English subtitles. And it was the first time ever that I've done something entirely in Spanish as an actress. And so now it's about really pushing that. And, and so what I do is whenever I have a role, I'll like, I'll throw in a Spanish word here and there just to see. And sometimes they keep it and sometimes they don't. But it's about pushing. We don't need to say that I'm a Latina necessarily. I'm just living in the world and I also speak Spanish. And I think that if we create those kind of roles and continue to just put that in the media, then it becomes normal because people see it. Like Latinas are all colors, but it's about putting them in those roles. Because a lot of times when I see a breakdown for a Latina and I walk into a casting room, especially for commercials, (laughs) they all like, they look like you guys. They don't look like me. And I don't get casted for commercials for Latinos. And sometimes... Uh, Excuse me, except for Fine Sisterhood. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) But in terms of like video commercials, like, you know, like a McDonald's or something like that. And it's interesting. It's like, when you look at Univision or Telemundo and you look at their commercials, where are the folks that look like me? You know, and I think that that's the challenge. It's about really forcing the media to start changing what it looks like. I remember last year when everyone got very upset. Well, no, I don't want to say everyone, but a <laughs> lot of people got very upset um, about the nomination for uh, the Oscars from Yalitza Barrecio Martinez. Yes. And uh, the thing that shocked and hurt me the most was seeing how many how many Mexican actresses right. were so nasty and said, mm-hmm. she's ugly. Like, she is not one of us. And like that farm girl, you know. Um, and that is so interesting because I do think that that was the first time I ever saw that subject really discussed in the media in the United States. Mm-hmm. And it was so important. I was heartbroken when she didn't want. I was like, she, not just did she deserve it, but also just the conversations that she opened up and people saying, is that really a thing? Yeah, yeah, that is really Mm -hmm. a thing. And it's sad and it's heartbreaking, Um, especially when you then see the colorism within the um, Latinx community, Mm -hmm. you know, where you're like, yeah, that exists also for for us, you know. Um, 
But I do think that it's important that we have more of those conversations and also, um, you know, just as much as we tell white U.S. people, you know, you have privilege and you have to, um, you also have to admit that it is important for Latinas that look more like us to say, yeah, we also have privilege. We can do a lot of things and people are just not going to assume anything mm -hmm. negative or are going to have negative associations and then being allies and creating of a, big, a bigger table for women that don't look as much like we do and look completely different. Mm -hmm. you know? And so thank you very much for being here with us yes. today. Um, we yes. love to have those conversations. <laughs> yes. And the indigenous people, it's even way more marginalized. I mean, the indigenous people, you think about it, they were almost practically erased everywhere. You think about the Taino Indians that were in the Caribbean and the indigenous people of Mexico. They are such a small population now. And it's so bizarre that that spirit of erasure has passed down through generations that at this point you have people who come from the same place like Mexico that literally want to erase that history, want to pretend like mm -hmm. the indigenous people don't exist, they're not a part of us, when actually that's where your history began. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, you come from the indigenous people. And so I just want to take this moment to just honor our indigenous sisters everywhere around the world that are brown, that feel unseen and unheard. Know that we love you and we see you and you can come on the app and we can talk about that. You know, you Yay! can you can discuss how that's what I love about the app, you know, right? Like you can literally anonymously speak about the things that are really hurting you and are painful. And I think that there's all these areas that we talk about hair, makeup, our body, sex. But there's this whole other area about just skin tone and what we look like and feeling beautiful in a society that tries to erase us. So I think maybe today I'll go on the app and I'll bring up that subject on colorism. <laughs> let's talk about colorism on the app yes. today. Yes, <laughs> let's go on the Fine Sisterhood app. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Of course. Uh, and thank you also for the feedback. For those of you that don't know that, I actually, um, the main and only reason so far that, uh, well, no, the main reason that we had to delete the old Fine Sisterhood and rebuild an entire new app, which is the one that you're using right now, um, is that this one is completely untraceable and it uses one-way cryptography, which is just a technical term for saying no one, and that includes our team members, knows who you are. And that was important because we have a lot of undocumented immigrants that are usually the 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 most likely to be sexually assaulted um, mm -hmm. and harassed, and they cannot report, they cannot come forward. And we wanted to make sure that we have a safe space where they cannot just come forward, but there is no government anywhere in the world that can ever force us to reveal their real identity. However, unfortunately, that's not how the government works, according to my law firm. Therefore, we built a completely new app that uses a technology that even if someone forces us to reveal data, we cannot reveal it because we literally don't have it. So there is nothing to be revealed. And so that was the whole thing I wanted for those women to have a space where they can talk about that. And there is no hacker. There is no, you know, cyber safety question. There is no government question. There is no nothing. We're an open book. Um, we're completely transparent. We just don't collect data. And therefore, you can have those conversations without ever having to fear retaliation, deportation, or any of those very, very horrible things that make women hold back and not share their stories. Come on now. We need to clap yeah, for that. Yeah. Let's clap for that. Yeah, exactly. And and seriously, like kudos to you ladies because again, people have no idea 
the difficulty that it is to be an entrepreneur, to run a business, and literally to have built something. And because you believed in something so much, to tear it all the way down and rebuild from scratch because it was so important to you to keep your sisters safe. So I just want to say thank you and that we love you and we honor you. <laughs> thank you. It was you. a pleasure having yes, you today. Thank you. As usual, you're thank always you, ladies. Like a ray of sunshine. Uh, tell yes. our listeners where we can Yes. Well, I'm Franceli Chapman. Be sure to follow me on all the things at Selly Hangout because it's about hanging out with Selly. Hang out with me. Tell me how much you love this podcast. You can ask me <laughs> any questions. We can follow up. We can keep the discussion going. Love you, ladies. Thank you so much. And we're going to tag you everywhere so people can also find you. Uh, to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And for those of you who haven't already, go download the Find Sisterhood app. Uh, it's free in the App Store and Google Play Store. Uh, and it is untraceable, as we now all know. <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating, please. Have a great day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.